Good morning. Well, that was kind of loud. Howdy. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Back in College Station. Uh, I hope that y'all have had an excellent Christmas, a happy new year, and a happy new decade. Uh, For those of you that do not know who I am, my name is Benjamin Pinkerton, and I actually worked here at Grace Bible Church, here specifically at the Creekside campus. I worked with our youth, and I worked with our Club 56. And in 2017, me and my wife, Kara, we moved out to Dallas so I could go full-time to Dallas Theological Seminary, pursuing that seminary degree. And uh, it is always such a pleasure, an honor, it's a blessing to be back here in College Station, specifically to be here at Grace Bible Church, because this is where me and my wife, we really started walking out our faith. And by walking out our faith, I mean we started to actually found our faith upon the Word of God in Christian community for the glory of God and the sake of the world. And so that was the time when we still really started walking out our faith. And so it's always such a pleasure to be back here with all of you guys. And this is the year for all the dads. You know what I'm saying? Because 2020 is so many puns. I mean, 2020 all throughout, all the dads in here are going to have a field day all year long with your dad jokes. And so uh, I'm not a father, but I will still take advantage. All right. So 2020, I wanted to title today's sermon, 2020 Vision. 2020 Vision. I want us to realign. Yeah, it's a dad joke. Okay. Uh, Realignment from fear to faith. See, I've been thinking about it, and I know uh, I work at a gym in Dallas, and I know that we love our New Year's resolutions. We love to set goals and have that new year come so that we can restart, right? I flew in from Colorado on Friday, and the Uber driver driving me and Kara back to the apartment, he even told us, man, I used to work in the bakery business for 20 plus years, And it was always amazing from January 1st to February 14th, the bread that was low carb or gluten free would triple in sales, right? January 1st to February 14th, which I don't know what that means because I guess Valentine's Day is just, I forget it. I'm just going back to the way I was, right? I'm going to get all the carbs I can. We love our New Year's resolutions. And as an Enneagram 3, for all you Enneagram people, Man, I love to achieve and I love to set goals. And so I started that in the core at A&M, my freshman year as Fish Pinkerton, when you have to set goals, you have to have physical fitness goals and academic goals and relational emotional goals. So maybe my physical fitness goal was to actually pass the PT test because your boy was a gymnast in high school. He didn't run. And so uh, I failed my first PT test because I couldn't run the time. My academic goal was to fall asleep less than 15 times in classes my first semester because it was extremely hard for me to stay awake while being in the core, while being here at Texas A&M as a freshman. Academic goal. And then relational goal, just call mom and dad, tell them I miss them, and they would encourage me not to quit the core. Right, so that was pretty much my first semester, my goals. And as I've thought through 2020, and as we are now in that time frame where some of us are setting those New Year resolutions or those goals or those plans and we're strategizing, I want us to think less today about those specific goals. I want us to think more specific about the motivations that drive our resolutions, that drive our decisions, that drive our very lives. See, I want to posit to you this. I think that we are a fearful people often. 
I think that oftentimes our decisions that we make are based upon fear and not faith. Give you a couple examples. Maybe you are a person that is so fearful of change. You are fearful of your phone going off. You are fearful. You're fearful of unknowns. You're fearful of rejection. You're fearful of how people look at you. And so you make decisions. Maybe for you, you're, you have a fearfulness of scarcity, that there's just not enough out there. And so you need to go and get what you can because otherwise someone else will get it and you will never be able to. You're fearful of job security. You're fearful of your kid's future. You're fearful of how people see you in your flesh. And so you work so hard to look so good to prove yourself to yourself and to other people. So often our decisions are based upon fear rather than faith. So today as we study the scriptures, my hope is that in that 2020 vision, we can realign our decisions and our lives. I want us to go from a people that are fear-based surviving to faith-based thriving. And specifically, we're going to look at how does Jesus's identity, his ministry, his mission that he shares with us, how does that motivate and encourage us as his followers to live faith-based rather than fear-based. So today we're going to discuss three things. We're going to discuss the foe of our faith. We're going to discuss the foundation of our faith. And lastly, we're going to look at the focus of our faith. See, we're going to be in chapter 14 of Matthew. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. For those of you that want to turn there. Matthew chapter 14, 22 to 33. It's a very famous passage in scripture because it is the passage, there was only two people that ever walked upon water in the scriptures. And this one passage, both of them are present. Both of them walk on water. Jesus and Peter walking on water. Matthew chapter 14, 22 to 33. But before we get there, I want to give you a little context. You're diving right into Matthew 14. But actually looking at the disciples' journey from Matthew chapter 10. See, Jesus selects, he calls, he appoints his apostles, his 12 apostles to be with him in chapter 10. And he tells them that being my follower is going to involve many storms. It's going to involve persecution. It's going to involve rejection. It's going to involve suffering. You're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me daily. Wow, thanks, Jesus. Okay, that's, that's what following is all about. Then as chapter 10 through chapter 14 progress, we and the disciples see that the person, Jesus, who was the Messiah, the sent one, sent from God, talked about in the Old Testament, he is consistently, progressively rejected. Chapter 10 to 14 is a, progress, a progression of Jesus being rejected by the masses, by the religious elites and the authority. And not only is he rejected, but his followers are rejected too. And that culminates all the way up to John the Baptist, JTB, the forerunner of Jesus. John the Baptist, who was supposed to herald in and point people to Jesus. This is the Messiah, the sent one who came to save us. Well, John the Baptist is rejected. He is thrown in prison and he's killed. And then we get to chapter 14 of Matthew. These disciples have been doing mission with Jesus. They've been suffering with Jesus. They've been persecuted. Their friend John the Baptist was just killed. Chapter 14 comes. They're on a hillside. 
And Jesus is teaching as Jesus always does. He's teaching and people are there. In fact, 5,000 plus men, women, and children are there listening to the words of Jesus. And they get hungry. And Jesus turns to his disciples and gives them another storm to face. Hey, I want you to feed all these people. And then you see Jesus perform a miracle. He blesses a boy's lunchbox and feeds 5,000 plus people using his disciples to carry out his mission, his ministry for the people there on the hillside. And now we're at chapter 14, verses 22. And what you're going to see in this passage over and over, just as it shows in Mark chapter 6, showing the same pericope, the same section of scripture, immediately, 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 over and over, we're going to see that in this passage. So 14, 22 to 33, let's follow along. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dispersed the crowds. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat, already far from land, was taking a beating from the waves because the wind was against it. As the night was ending, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, it's an apparition. And they cried out with fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, or in the Greek, since Jesus, it is you, order me to come out on the water. So Jesus said to Peter, come. Peter got out of the boat, he walked on the water, and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, again, he became afraid. And starting to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand, caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they went up into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him. They worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are are the Son of God. First, we need to look at that context again. These disciples have been going through a lot the last four chapters since they decided to follow Jesus. They're exhausted emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually. Then they have to feed 5,000 people. And then immediately, what does Jesus do? He sends them out into another storm. Immediately, he sends them out into the sea. And about 3 to 6 a.m., the fourth watch of the night, It says that the wind began to beat against the boat. That word in Greek is harassment or torment. Literally, the wind, the storm is tormenting the disciples. They're probably at this point like, another storm, another opportunity for me to either be fearful or to be faithful. And how do the disciples do it? Well, it shows us the great foe of our faith. And it's this. The fight within faith is against fear. The fight within faith is against fear. Again, you look at these disciples in verse 26. When the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the water, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out with fear. They were terrified, fearful, did not recognize Jesus walking towards them because they were so afraid. See, in this moment, they were so afraid that they did not recognize Jesus. And that's what fear does to us. 
See, fear blinds us from the reality of the presence of our Lord. Fear blinds us to the reality of the presence of God in our lives and the mission that he has, that he's continuing through us. That is what fear does. And guess what? We can dog on the disciples all day long, but the reality is I just declared that all of us are fearful, that we have all these things, these resolutions, these decisions, these strategies that we put in place that's based upon fear. And God knows that. God knows that we are so prone to fear. Guess what the most common command in Scripture is do not be afraid have courage fear not over and over in scripture god is telling his people do not be afraid because he knows we are prone to fear genesis chapter 12 god appears to abraham telling him you're going to go out and i am with you do not be afraid god appears to isaac genesis chapter 26 i am with you as i was with your father do not be afraid God appears to Gideon with his small clan of army facing the mighty Midianite army. God appears to Gideon and says, guess what? Do not be afraid. God appears, God appears to Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat is facing three armies. The Ammonites, the Moabites, and all the other people. And in this moment, what does God tell him? Do not be afraid. God appears to the Israelites in Isaiah when they're about to be taken into captivity and God says to them, do not be afraid. In Matthew chapter one, God appears to Joseph and says, do not be afraid. Jesus chapter 10 of Matthew, do not be afraid. Do not worry about tomorrow for I care more about you than I do about the animals and the beautiful creation. See, God is in the business of consistently Reminding us, do not be afraid. You are not called to be a people based upon fear, but based upon faith. And yet again, we're so prone to worry. We're so prone to be afraid. I don't know what that area is in your life, but I hope that we can be self-aware enough to say there are areas in my life that I am so prone to stop trusting God and start to trust myself I stare at my circumstances. Maybe for you, you worry constantly about job security. So you're willing to sacrifice really, really important things like family, like walking with God so that you can focus simply on a career. Maybe for you, you worry so much, you're so fearful of the future of your kids that you have to set up every single little block of time, scheduling out every part of their day to try and set them up for a future because you're so worried they're going to get to the end and not be ready for life. Maybe for you, you worry constantly about your health, about your family. I don't know what that area is in your life, but God is telling us, do not fear. Fear not. Have courage over and over. The reality is fear blinds us of the presence of God. Fear undermines our convictions. The reality is that when we're fearful, what do we communicate to the world, to God, and to ourselves? We communicate, God's not really in control. I have to be in control. Right? It communicates, God doesn't really care about me, or I don't believe that he cares about me. He's not good enough. He's not strong enough. He's not in control of the situation. And so we worry, and we're fearful. See, God gives us opportunities to face these storms, to see us through those storms, and he gives us the opportunity to trust him in faith or to be a people based upon fear and doubt.
Let us be a people who are self-aware of those places the enemy wants to attack us and make us fearful, undermine our convictions. Do not believe in the presence, the power, and the goodness of our God. Now, thank God that this story does not end with the disciples screaming out in fear, it's a ghost when it's Jesus, because that's embarrassing, right? Thank God that God does not leave us in our storms, in our places of fearfulness. See, the passage keeps going, and it shows us there is a foundation to your faith. There is a foundation to your faith, and it's this. The foundation of faith is the word of God. The foundation of our faith is the word of God. Again, the context. They're tired. They're beat down. These disciples have been facing a lot. And then look what we see in 27 through 29. Jesus immediately spoke to them. He said, have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you Order me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said to Peter, come. Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. Now I want you to think about this. You're on a storm, chaos, turbulence, unknowns, changes. Things are happening you're not in control of. The storms of life, the water is rising and falling. It's crashing against the boat. You're tired, you're exhausted. Your friend John the Baptist just died. You don't have Jesus in the boat with you. And you know in the past storm, a couple chapters ago, at least Jesus was with us. What would cause a man to get out of a boat, to walk on water, to step on the sea in that moment? The answer is nothing. Nothing would persuade me to get out of the boat and to walk on the water because that's insanity. And yet Peter does it. Why would Peter get out of the boat and walk on the water? Why did he think that he had that ability to do that? Well, it's because he believed in that moment. He had faith in that moment. He believed in the source of who was speaking to him. He believed in the power behind that source. He believed so strongly that Jesus had the power to walk on the water that he also believed Jesus had the power to see him walk on the water too. So first we dogged on the disciples and now we look and we say, Peter, awesome example, walking on the water, having that faith. We love to make people in history, we love to make heroes in scripture. We love to say that is a super extraordinary person. Look how great that guy, that girl was. I could never be like Elijah. I could never be like Abraham. They're just too powerful, too great, too good. I'll never be that way. Well, I want to tell you something. I don't actually think anyone in history is extraordinary. Superheroes, powerful. I think there are simply men and women throughout history that firmly put their convictions, they made their decisions, they created their resolutions, they started their strategies based upon the word of God. They believed what God said and they did what God called them to. And now we look up and say, man, those people were great. The reality is they simply firmly believed in the word of God. What would cause Noah to build a huge boat when no one even knew what rain was? It was the word of God. What would cause Moses to stand before Pharaoh, the apparent Egyptian sun god man person in charge of the Israelites and tell him, let my people go? It was the word of God. What would cause Gideon to stand before that large Midianite army with confidence? It was the word of God. 
What would cause a German monk in the 1600s to firmly declare the ecclesiastical structures that be the powers in front of them and say, no, salvation is based only on faith alone and Christ alone? What would cause a German monk to do that? Well, in the Diet of Worms, 1521, Martin Luther said this, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Martin Luther changed history in the Reformation period. But all he did was read the Bible. He built a firm conviction upon the word of God. And guess what? Every person in this room has easy access to the word of God. Every single one of us can base our decisions and base our life and base our choices and base our resolutions and create schedules and focus on the word of God. We can make our life revolving around the revealed word of God. And the word of God is simply God telling us who he is and who we are in him. The Bible contains everything we need for life and godliness. We have it all. And yet, if you're like me, you struggle basing your life, your choices upon the conviction of the word of God. Even in that time period, the Reformation, what faith was described as, three words, the right knowledge, ascension or acknowledgement of that knowledge, and then personal trust in that knowledge. See, you might have strong convictions that are not based on truth, so you're just sincerely wrong. Faith is all three elements. You have to have the right knowledge. You have to believe it, and you have to live it out. And that is trusting. That is faith. And so us to live based upon the word of God, have the knowledge, believe it, to walk it out. We all have that opportunity. Now, I know I was looking on Facebook and I saw Grace Bible Church. A group actually started. They stood firm and said, you know what? This upcoming year, 2020, I want to be a person or a people based upon the book. I want to know the word of God. And so they started a Facebook group called Whole Bible 365. Maybe for you, that could be a good goal. Simply immersing yourself into the word, to know the word, to understand who God is and who you are and how you're called to live out a life of godliness and faithfulness based upon the Bible. So that is a great first step. I encourage you, whole Bible 365, have community, have accountability, pushing you to read the word because that is the foundation of our faith, the revelation from God that we all have available to us in this room. But the story doesn't stop there. And in fact, this story is not about Peter walking on the water. This story has got a much more significant focus. The focus of our faith is found in this passage. And it's this. The focus of our faith is Jesus, the Son of God. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I get it. If I went to any Sunday school classroom here, probably in College Station, and said, children, what's the focus of our faith? Jesus. And yet, how often do we lose sight of our focus in our faith? How often do we make decisions not based on our focus, Jesus, the Son of God, 
but some other circumstance, situation. Look at the passage. 14, 29 through 30. Peter, he gets out of the boat. He walks on the water and he goes towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he became afraid. And starting to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. That's right. Lord, save me. See, in this moment, we don't know what Peter was thinking, but we know what he did. I underlined it for you. He saw the strong wind. In that moment, he took his focus, he took his vision off of Jesus and placed it somewhere else. And he began to sink. And right after this, you know, immediately, Jesus grabs his hand. He saves him from the abyss. But he rebukes him and says, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That word doubt carries this word picture of irresolutely trying to go in two different directions. It's the idea of having too many focuses. You're looking at too many things. You're trying to pursue too many opportunities. See, in this moment, Paul, I mean, in this moment, Peter, he irresolutely looked at Jesus and at his circumstances, at the wind. I don't know what Peter was thinking, but I have some guesses. Maybe Peter, like a lot of us, Jesus called him to something, and when he stepped out in faith at first, he then began to doubt. This is impossible. God wouldn't call me to this. This is not right. There's no way I can do this. And he started to sink. Or maybe he stopped focusing on Jesus and started to focus on himself. Wow, I'm walking on water. This is awesome. Maybe he looked back at the boat. Yo, Andrew, James, check this out. Walking on water, right? Maybe he got so focused on what other people thought about him and his walk towards Jesus that he actually stopped looking at Jesus. He stopped focusing on Jesus. And how often do we also do the same thing? See, that is doubt. That is what fear does. It takes our focus off of Jesus and puts it anywhere else in our faith. But again, the point of this story is not that Peter walked on water. The point of this story is that Jesus saves. The point of this story is that Jesus saves Peter. In this moment of darkness and calamity, all these crazy things are happening, the storms in our life, who was in control at all times? Jesus. Jesus was constantly standing on that water in the midst of a storm in complete control. And notice this, church. Peter became faithless in this moment. He stopped looking at Jesus. But notice what Jesus did. Jesus never stopped focusing on Peter. Peter became faithless. Jesus was always faithful. And the same is also true for us. We start to fear. We start to doubt. We start to put our focus any other place. But guess who is constantly looking at you? Constantly focused on you. Constantly in control of the storms of your life. It's Jesus. Jesus immediately picks Peter up. Saves him right when Peter calls out to him. Because Jesus was in control and he was faithful and he's good to us. And that's what we need to realize. And that's what the disciples in the boat realized. The very next part, 
1433, then those who were in the boat, they worshiped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. See, the disciples had a better picture of who Jesus was. By going through the storm and Jesus faithfully walking with Peter back to the boat, back to the boat, a part of the mission, they recognized, wait a second, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are who you said you were. You are the Messiah, the sent one, the one that John the Baptist was proclaiming. You are the one that the Old Testament pointed us to. They understood who Jesus was more. They understood that Jesus is the focus of our faith. Nothing else. Jesus is the focus of our faith. So in a moment, we are going to take communion if the team wants to come forward. And in communion, guess what? It is an opportunity for us again to realign our vision. It's an opportunity for us to look at Jesus, to focus our gaze and our vision upon Jesus, upon what Jesus did. See, we are sinners. We have committed cosmic treason. We have rebelled against a holy and perfect God. And yet, when we became faithless, God remained faithful. God sent Jesus, and Jesus came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life. He never once sinned. He never once committed treason or rebellion against God the Father. He lived a perfect life, and yet he was betrayed. He was put on a cross, and he bled and died for us. And in three days, he rose again victorious. He rose from the grave, and then he ascended into heaven, where he could sit by God the Father and intercede on our behalf. And he told us he's coming back. See, that is the good news. That is the gospel. That is what the scriptures is all pointing to. This is Jesus. Jesus is the focus of your faith. My question is, have we lost our focus? Going into 2020, creating resolutions, deciding this family and who I want to be. I want to be a person that is based upon the foundation of the word of God, which points to the word. It points to Jesus, the focus of our faith. So as the men come forward and begin to pass out the elements, I'm going to have on the screen three questions and something to pray about. I want you to reflect. I want you to think about these questions. And they are this. What areas of your life are you most prone to fear? What are you really focused on? What is really the motivation behind the decisions that you're making? And lastly, pray for God to realign your vision so that you can look to Jesus and no other place. You see, church, communion is a time for us to remember, to reflect upon God's passion. God's power, God's goodness that is displayed to us and for us through Jesus, the Son of God. It is a time for us to reflect and fixate our vision upon Jesus, to declare that we are a people simply following our Messiah, our Savior. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Well, Father, we just come to you grateful, God, that although at times we are so prone to fear that we face storms in our life with fear rather than faith, God, I'm so grateful that you are a God that is always faithful that you are always fixated on us, that you care so deeply about us, that you love us so intimately, that you know us so greatly, and that in the, moment, in the moment of our sin, in the moment of our despair and our death, God, you sent Jesus to die in our place. And God, you, through your spirit, encourage us, motivate us, allow us to be a people that make faith-based decisions rather than fear-based decisions. God, that you walk with us, that you know us. God, I pray for every single one of us in this room as we go into this new year, into this new decade, into the rest of our lives, we would be a people that are marked and described as faithful witnesses of who Jesus is in our lives. We are not a people that are fearful. We are not a people who are enslaved to our sin and captive to ourself. God, we instead get to walk freely with Jesus. Help us to do that. God, we love you. We thank you, God, that you give us the power and the ability to be faithful to you. Help us during this day and for the rest. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.